podcast. And we have my friend Caleb Smallwood in here. Um, he has ties to Amplifier. Um, and we worked on a few music festivals together. He's a photographer. Um, stoked to have him here because our schedules are kind of wonky. Um, but we finally got in here on a Saturday morning. Um, how are you? Good, man. Good. It's good to be here. Um, you do a lot of things. So I'm stoked for this interview because you've been all over the world, first of all. Um, and you, your talents are just ridiculous. Um, cool. So let's get started. Um, so where were you born? I was born here in Greensboro. Right. Uh, preemie. My parents were not living here. Okay. Um, my mom was actually just visiting her mother, um, in Greensboro and I decided to pop out like two and a half months early. (laughs) My dad was off station somewhere. He was in, in the Marines. So, um, we moved around a little bit, but, uh, settled back here to go to middle school and high school. Okay. Um, so that's kind of where I started. Right. So, I guess in those younger years, you were just, what places did you go? Um, a couple of different military bases. Okay. My dad was stationed all over the place, but we didn't really follow too much. My mom kind of wanted to be grounded. So, we lived at the beach, um, Cherry Point, Havelock. Um, there's a base down there, uh, Camp Lejeune, and then, um, my mom lived in Burlington and, uh, Quantico for a little bit, Virginia, and then, um, but she kind of wanted to stay close to her parents so that she could have a little help while she was teaching. Right. So basically stayed around the Greensboro area for the most part after that. Also, so you, okay, cool. So you basically pretty much in a triad, one mm-hmm. race, um, to now. Um, awesome. So what exactly are you doing now? We'll jump back to what got you here. Right now, I am a head chef over at Tessa Farm to Fork. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a small converted waffle house um <laughs> on the northwest side of town um horseman creek and battleground um pretty much live there um and then try to do some random freelance photography weddings uh like you said music festivals um when they come around yeah but uh for the most part just kind of cooking right cool so awesome because you're kind of holding the photography thing is kind of on the side a little bit and um doing cooking as well that's awesome um, so let's go back to when your interest in photography started. When was that? So I, uh, I guess that's going to show my age. When <laughs> I was in high school, I got a Panasonic little multi-use device. And so it was a little pocket camera, mm-hmm. video camera, kind of all in one. Um, and it was like five megapixels. And <laughs> oh, so... Man. It was always just terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and I still always like being outside, so we travel up to Boone once I got my license area and go hiking and stuff. And I remember seeing a couple sunsets and taking pictures of it and then getting back home, loading up the pictures. Um, I don't even remember what program we loaded them to. It'd be like Microsoft <laughs> 98 <laughs> Windows or something. And it just it would not represent what we saw. You know, and it would just be blown out skies, a little sun, even though the sun might have looked ginormous in the sky and the colors were super vibrant and everything. You just weren't picking up any of that right. in the camera. And so I went to Europe my freshman year of college when oh, I went wow. up to App in 2003. Me and a couple buddies went. Okay. And I had not really thought about it too much, but I convinced my grandma to buy me a uh, probably 150 200 kit kind of minolta uh-huh. film camera 35 millimeter okay. 
and um, didn't really know much about photography. Just um, bought a bunch of film and happened to buy a bunch of slide film, and I didn't really know what that entailed at the time. Um, so basically, and I was so nervous. I was young. I just turned 18. Um, so the spring break we went freshman year, mm-hmm. and I just remember being really scared to pull out my camera in public to shoot people, especially. Yeah. So I was shooting, you know, scenic stuff, obviously, and but people was just kind of timid. So what I ended up doing was, you know, just keep it on pretty much auto and <laughs> just hip shoot. And it was a really small, lightweight camera, oh, and I dude. could hold it down by my side and just fire it off with my thumb. I could hold it with my, my four fingers yeah. and just basically trigger off with my thumb. And so I was doing all these just kind of hip shots and hit or miss. Some turned out terrible. Some turned out <laughs> awesome. But then I, after that trip, I got a lot of the film back. And was just super stoked on it. And so I enrolled in Apps Photography Program. Perfect. Um, which did, at the time, they don't do it anymore. It's pretty much all digital studio, like most places they're converting to. Yeah. But at the time, you know, you had to go through photo one and two and black and white, um, darkroom stuff. Um, ended up being lucky because I had this previous group of images that I didn't really know much about but once I started showing them to my professor for my trip you know that actually was something that he wanted to concentrate on because unknowing to me when you shoot an automatic a lot it tends to underexpose images a little bit you're not really accounting for highlights or dark areas and you're not making the manual adjustments to overexpose by two or pull it by two pull Mm -hmm. it back by two to expose for the shadows and so with Normal film, that would have been a huge problem. You right. know, you wouldn't have gotten much information at all in the film. But because I shot mostly slides, my stuff was super saturated um, okay. in color and in depth. And so I ended up coming away with the images that actually came out, some really cool pictures. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the street stuff, because it was auto was only exposing at like a 60th of a second or a 30th of a second or 45th of a second. Mm-hmm. So there was slight motion blur in the photos. Nothing was really tack, but that was showing street movement. It was showing, mm-hmm. you know, kind of just the the nuance of the scene, not really tactile, sharp photography. But it created a really cool vibe in the photos. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up blowing up a bunch of that stuff and getting it sent off to a, a professional print lab because we weren't able to print our own slide film there. Right. Just we were only able to do black and white darkroom stuff. And so I ended up going to Chicago for a photo conference and down wow. to Florida State and um, ended up doing, and I was doing landscaping work at the time, so I was shooting a lot of macro flowers and yeah. um, I was living in the mountains, so a lot of nature stuff too. Mm-hmm. And ended up just kind of, getting obsessed with it you know shooting thousands of rolls of film i mean every bit of money i made landscaping or working in a restaurant was going straight to film photography yeah and just shooting what was around me friends hanging out to being outside rock climbing stuff like that and just build it built up a pretty large portfolio in a short amount of time that's awesome and so for photo wise i actually even when i got busy doing a constant restaurant gig 
I was always able to go back to these older photos and do shows or prints or stuff like that right. and seemed to do pretty well. Um, and it's kind of just been like that ever since. I just I kind of keep my cameras close and just kind of shoot whatever I'm around, yeah. you know. That's, that's that's incredible, and I definitely want to ask this because it's kind of came to mind. Um, with you being in Boone in the mountains, how was it in being into photography? How was it different to being like in the city? Ooh, um, well, I guess when I was up there, there wasn't quite the social media platform as there is today. Right. So you didn't really know who was doing what, how mm. many people were doing what, and so you kind of had a lot closer circle of the the stuff you saw right and so being in a city um you know we'd travel my buddy lived in columbia south carolina and we'd take a couple trips down there and being there's a big college there you got to see a little bit more street art and mm-hmm. um so that, whether that's just form and shape and bridges and tunnels and graffiti and um stuff like that you kind of get this urban landscape stuff going on mm-hmm. um and you can concentrate on all that and uh portraiture really wasn't a big thing at the time for me okay. um so that was kind of you always thought about it though you'd see these scenes and you see stuff in magazines and whatnot and you'd be like oh well, this would be a cool place to shoot like a portrait and you kind of always had these dreamscape sort of things when the mist would be rolling in or oh, the fog yeah, would sure. and You'd be like, oh, man, it'd be cool to have, like, fairy tale stuff. Yeah. You know, so it'd be like, oh, this would be awesome to have a little, like, Red Riding Hood, like, yeah. thing going on. Or just some crazy, just surreal sort of setup, you know. But yeah. for action photography, for climbing and stuff, I mean, you couldn't get any better. It's the, the most aesthetic place in the southeast of this country is for those sure. mountains, the Blue Ridge. Um, so you would go around in coffee shops um, local restaurants and you would see other landscapes. So you'd see sunrises, sunsets, mm-hmm. um, real typical tourism based photography. You know, right. people, it was curated for people that were not in the area that were up there visiting. So when you thought about what to shoot, you didn't always shoot for yourself. You, you thought about what are these people that are on vacation going to want to take home? Okay. And so you you would shoot typical stuff. You would go to these big viewpoints. You would go in the woods and you would shoot for the sunrise, for the sunset, for the Blue Ridge when, you know, the time of day when the mountains are truly blue. And that's kind of what pretty wide angle, um, just really stereotypical landscape photography was what people were buying. Mm-hmm. So the more I thought to push it with... Um, creativity the less i sold so I, since i shot a lot of film okay. i did a lot of double exposures i did a lot of fun kind of just playing around stuff but the stuff that people would you'd set up on the street you know and just when college tours were going on you'd set up and just have a bunch of prints out and just hang out on the side of the road and nobody ever bought what i thought was my coolest photography and this That's is so something hard. i learned very early on was okay. that people just wanted stereotypical mountain scenes (laughs) right and so that's what you would print you know $25 at a time $15 at a time whatever it was lower price points um not framing much you know just having it in plastic sleeves people wanted that just mountain scenery 
you know, and so that's kind of what for a long time I concentrated on and built a decently large portfolio of just mountain landscapes. And, you know, coming to Greensboro, the hardest thing I've found is that it's not even what you shoot, how you shoot, if it's cities, if it's if it's cityscapes, if it's uh, nighttime motion blur with uh, the car trails mm-hmm. or whatnot, you know, you can shoot a lot of cool, diverse portfolio stuff in the city. You have lots of urban scenery to urban aesthetic to match up either your portrait subject or just whatever you're going for. And you might produce a ton of valuable work, but it's not selling anywhere. You right. know, there's not a lot of art hung around here specifically. Um, that's really moving much. And if it is, it's some abstract paintings that are going for $750, you know, and so it just hangs there. Yeah. It's not a really moving walls. Like your art's just not moving onto a wall, moving off of a wall, you know, and that's the only way as a quote unquote fine art photographer or street photographer, you kind of rely on those art sales to keep buying your film or keep Mm -hmm. buying your prints and when it just really hangs and people are like, oh, that's cool, but nobody's really buying it to put on their walls, it's it's a hard sell, you know. Yeah. And, and I would say social media is not part to blame, but it's just the progression of the industry we're in is that they can see it anywhere. Yep. You know, they can go on Instagram or whatever and they can see the same photo you took 300 different say, ways. Yeah, a thousand different times. Yep. You know, and so it's so oversaturated now even if i had been going up to app or boone right now for the first time the same photos i took and had success with have been shared five thousand times now you know and so i'm not saying it wouldn't have been a possibility but i don't think i would have been encouraged in the same way because the bubble that i thought i would have existed in is theoretically so much larger i think i would have been very discouraged early on um, because I've just seen so many more people doing not exactly the same thing, but, but theoretically the same stuff that, that I was doing because everybody has an iPhone or everybody has a digital camera now. Right. And, you know, when I got started, you know, I bought the first 5D that came out and that was a full frame 12 megapixel camera, mm-hmm. you know, and a 12 megapixel camera is a shoddy camera at best on, <laughs> on a, a cell phone lens, yeah. you know, so it's, a completely different world that we live in now, technology-wise, than when I got interested in photography. Right, cool. I definitely want to, that's, I'm glad you said that, because I want to jump back to you learning on film at App. Um, Do you think they should have kept doing film before they do digital, or do you think it's good that they do digital now and not film? So there's, there's a way to look at it, and it's where you stand with what you want to do. If you want to be a working photographer in today's world, you are expected to turn around things quickly. Okay. You know, and in that model, digital is essentially the only way to go. You know, people want their wedding previews immediately. People want their, even for, you know, so I guess I have to step it back. I ended up graduating from RCC, Randolph Community College's photojournalism program. Okay. And even when you come to print media or whatever, it's not even turning around the next day now. People want images half the time like you experienced at Moogfest while the <laughs> yeah. events are happening. Yep. So you're trying to shoot, upload, edit, 
<laughs> during the actual event, yep. and that's what's going to be relevant. People want to see Flying Lotus on stage, on social media as it's happening. As it's happening, you know, yep. and it, it's yeah, that would be an impossibility with film, you know. Um, so I think, as far as a workflow in today's business world, you have to be shooting digital, but film teaches invaluable lessons when it comes to technique because you don't get the pleasure of photoshop you can always scan and do photoshop later right but you know if you were working for a newspaper in the mid 80s early 90s you you processed your film turned it in you maybe could push and pull a little bit in the dark room for some shadows or some contrast Mm -hmm. but your picture that you exposed for is ultimately your final product right you don't get tons of efforts in making a bad photo a good photo so in saying that you have to know what you're doing technically you have to be able to expose properly for motion for subject for composition for for light Mm -hmm. um if there's a big if the sun's you know in the background of your subject and you just try to run off on automatic and fire away a bunch, your subject's going to be completely black. Right. You know, and so you're having to learn these things on the fly, and you don't get redos. And nope. especially, I ended up shooting with a medium format camera a lot. That's 15 shots of a roll of film. Right. You're not just going to blow through five rolls because you want to, because that's $60. <laughs> you know, right. and it's, there's a, there's a learning curve that's a lot higher with film and appreciation for the technical aspects of photography, manual settings, knowing how to control ISO, shutter speed, and, you know, just aperture, and really what those things mean. Right. You know, um, I think film has its place in modern photography. Mm -hmm. I think especially the portraiture, weddings, and certain aspects, if you can market yourself as a film-only photographer... You can get some pretty high-end weddings, and if people respect what yeah. you're doing enough, um, they'll pay for it. They'll pay for your film processing. They'll pay for your film, and they'll give you that that leeway with the time, um, which is a blessing. But that's the difference between the school at App I went to and at RCC. RCC teaches you how to take technical photography and go out in the workforce and get a job and right. be able to technically, proficiently, efficiently take these photographs okay. whereas app you get a lot of pats on the back right you, you get a lot of art encouragement okay. free thinking um and that's where film can come into place if you want to go to maybe an art school if mm. you want to if you want to do fine art kind of film photography you get a lot more creative control with in-house film um true double triple quadruple exposures um the pushing and pulling of a four by five film slide mm-hmm. and scanning that in and upwards on a high end scanner at almost a gigabyte, you have more information in that piece of film than you will ever get, even with the current best DSLRs you can buy today. Okay. Um, unless you're working on a $75,000 digital Hasselblad back, you cannot replicate what you can re- do on large format film right. information wise because of the small size of the sensors you think you got four by five inches the pack in information on compared to a chip that is 35 millimeters in size or basically like two point something inches um 
one way three at the max and um it's there's so much cool things about film grain um oh yeah you know we would go back and actually just manipulate our our negatives we would we would put dust on them we would scratch them we would burn them you know yeah. you, you can you can do really cool one and done things that you would never be able to truly replicate digital in, fo- in digital camera or photoshop yep but as far as working and that being your only medium you're you're pushing a hard bargain in today's in today's photography world just right. to shoot with film you right know? and that's, i'm not gonna name like a few that just shoot film film is definitely not super common um but obviously, you're way more into the process of shooting film, and like I said, your skill and technique probably, you know, super increases if you actually go that route before you go to digital, I'm sure. Um, so, I guess convenience aside, you would probably rather shoot film? I would rather shoot film. Okay. Um, you know, I think that shooting film is an art, and I think today, if you can do it well, you almost can separate yourself from people if you shoot it well yeah. because now I think it's pretty trendy for people to carry around a Goodwill camera um, <laughs> oh, with yeah. some cheap film in it Very and true. call themselves a film photographer Yeah, whereas they're doing the same thing most people do on a digital camera it's a, it's a, it's kind of a, a nuance sort of thing but they don't get the nuance they don't understand the technical aspect of what they're doing so they might come out with some cool photos every once in a while, just like I did when I first started. But they'll never progress from there. To get paid to do something specific with that camera and that technology is, is really unlikely. I mean, a good film camera is not just the film that you have in your camera. It's not the body. The body is the least important thing when it comes to a film camera. you mm-hmm. still got to have good glass you you have to know what speed film you're using and why um and it's it's still it's a very technical ball game whereas you know i mean the same applies for digital stuff you can have a crappy camera body but as long as you have a good piece of glass on there and a decent sensor you can take some pretty high quality pictures but it's 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 overall still about the knowledge and i feel like being grounded in a film knowledge i think it slows you down you're not processing 500 photographs from a trip you're (laughs) processing 60 and when you think about the cost of what you're doing the time you put into what you're doing you tend to step back and think about the shot a little bit more before you fire Mm -hmm. and so yeah you might miss it's clear that you might waste some film um but your thought process tends to be I'm thinking about step one through five before I fire this frame opposed to I'm firing ten frames and hoping I get in the middle somewhere of what I'm sort of thinking about. You know, and I think that's a huge difference in how people shoot film versus how people shoot digital. You know, high frame rates, um, you're trying to shoot something and you literally fire off 12 photographs in a second, two seconds. And then you're going through all these micro expressions rather than really looking for the facial expression first, First, you know, and really anticipating the movement of somebody or the scene before you fire that, that shot. Right. That's awesome. So dang, that's a lot. 
That's very true, though, because I think everyone I know who shoots film is just say those exact things. Like, it's like, I'm not wasting, like, a lot of time trying to get, like, whatever is just shooting done. Um, so, yeah, so I wanted to hear about your experience at RCC, um, and why did you leave at to go there? Well, I think when I went back to RCC, there was a probably a eight-year gap in between. Okay. Oh, okay. okay um, gotcha. I didn't finish it at. I don't think, honestly, I was ready for the college experience while I was in such a cool place. Yeah. I, uh, I got sucked into the restaurant scene when I was up there, the climbing yeah. scene. Right. Um, and just doing kind of what I wanted to do. And school really wasn't as high as a priority as it maybe should have been. Okay. Um, and going back to school, all it took was a walkthrough of the program. Because I've been shooting the whole time. Right. Um, not trying to really get paid shooting or anything like that. Like I said, I was working in restaurants, um, some landscaping, just working. But I still was always taking pictures. And... I walked through RCC's photo lab by chance, and it was ten times bigger than what App had to offer. Um, they had Codex machine, uh, which was basically, I think I might have even said that wrong, but basically an <laughs> E6 processor, so a, a slide processor. So you could process your own color slides there, not only to your black and white photos. And we were actually, my graduating class was the last year of that program they don't do large format um photography anymore which is like the ansel adam type cameras the big sheet films four by five eight by ten negatives yeah um they're also converting to mostly digital workflow you still have to start off on some film but rcc the difference between the two is huge right rcc that was one of the hardest two years of my life oh, ever. I mean, it, it consisted of eight in the morning when the, when the doors open to 10 at night when the doors closed, being there every day for almost two years minus your internships. Right. And what that program does, it doesn't just teach you to do what you want to do. It teaches you to be able to do anything. So your assignments could range from, and it worked a lot like a newspaper, They'd give you sometimes daily assignments where you just have to go out into the small town of Liberty and shoot people, shoot a story, um, build subjects up. And then the very next day you were having to cover action at a baseball game. You know, you'd be taking a 300 millimeter lens out there, having to shoot certain shots, get certain requests from the professor um, and turn in what basically would be expected of a print media organization, some close-ups, some wide angles, some fanfare. Um, And then also you might have to cover a press conference. You'd have to go into architecture and figure out how to expose for the inside of a building, the outside, you know, and then maybe Photoshop the two. So you just, there's, you shot everything, whether or not you were into it or not, (laughs) they required you to learn the technicalities of composing a photograph that people that are looking to hire photographers Mm -hmm. are capable of doing and if you look around the triad i don't know an exact percentage but most of the working professionals 
in the triad from furniture market industry to newspapers to magazines all went through RCC's program. Right. Um, there's a very tight knit community from that school because I think a lot of people know what it took to get through the program. Yeah. Um, and trust that going through that program laid you the foundation to be able to not just hire you, but and not have to babysit you. Right. So you're not getting hired, and then they're like, "Oh, well, you said you are <laughs> a portrait photographer or a uh, commercial photographer going in to shoot a couch." You know, and you were properly able to set up all your dynamics in the studio. You understand what it means on the settings for the lights versus the settings on your camera, um, how to control motion, water droplets, to completely blocking out glare, to, you know, they're not having to go over what you're doing as much because you were laid a very solid foundation. Whereas at App, like I said, mentioned before, you kind of had free reign. Right. As long as you were producing some content that was halfway decent, they kinda just kind of gave you a pat on the back and you were good to go. Right. You know, a very more artsy feel where RCC, like as they say in their title, is a technical photography program. You okay. learn the technicalities of what it means to build a photograph from the ground up. That's awesome. And we've actually uh, interviewed a few people from RCC and they do say that they are definitely happy they go there but they're working their asses off um and that's awesome so you said you had internships there yes so what internships did you have well my first one fell through um i was supposed to work for a buddy of mine locally covering um some small startup stuff that we were doing Mm -hmm. um together um hops fest and some other stuff Mm -hmm. didn't really quite work out so not really as a backup. It was one of the two that I'd kind of planned. Um, I reached out to Brian Clary over at Triad City Beat okay. and did some interning for them for a couple months. And even after my technical internship was over, I still kind of worked with them for the next few months. Perfect. Um, with the first one following through, it was summertime internship. Um, I had the ability to go out to my buddy Dalton's projects um, out in basically... Brecken, Breckenridge, Colorado. Okay. Um, he owns a small clothing company called Marble Mansion. Okay. Um, snowboarding lifestyle brand. Um, and so basically, there's still snow on certain places in the middle of the summer right. um, up at those elevations. So we went to Copper Mountain and I shot a bunch of snowboarding. Um, we went to Denver, shot a bunch of skateboarding, okay. um, did some portraiture work for him. And so, in a matter of about two weeks, um, put together like a little promo for his company, um, just some lifestyle building stuff. Um, and that's, you know, where we did some portraiture in the streets, um, some action shots of some of the athletes that he sponsors okay. and just kind of put that together for him. The internships aren't too long. So what really could have been two months worth of internships, we really nailed down in, in two weeks. Oh, um, wow. that's, that's incredible. Was going to take another long internship. In Denver for a four, F4D, which is a very high-end um, video production agency. They work with the Denver Nuggets and a couple other like hospitals and big kind of big accounts in Denver. But then I found out my girlfriend Jen and I were going to have a, a baby. Okay. 
So that kind of turned courses on a lot of stuff. Flip flop, yeah. Um, but it already scheduled to do two documentary, like small, not really documentary projects, but uh, community awareness videos in India um, in that November of 2015. Mm-hmm. Right. So I ended up going to India when my daughter was about three months two to three months old oh, wow. um, for almost a month to work on these video projects. It probably could have been a three-month, six-month ordeal, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I wasn't going to leave Jen oh, yeah, with a newborn. To, to watch the newborn. <laughs> she would have killed me. Uh, that's awesome. So while you're on that subject, describe how the uh, shooting in India was. I over overstuffed my bags. Um, it was the first time I had done anything like that. Okay. Um, Definitely intimidating. Um, being in a country where, yes, people do speak some broken English. Um, for the projects, I ended up having an interpreter. Right. So that was awesome. The hospital group that I was working for, they definitely got me an interpreter to to travel around, to have the, the conversations needed with the subjects that we were working with. Mm-hmm. Um, but there still was a lot of traveling. Before I got to this hospital, which was in... Um, the northern region of India, um, kind of at the base of Nepal and the Himalayas, um, a little bit rural compared to when you fly in, you fly into Delhi. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got to get yourself from Delhi to this area and, you know, <laughs> deal with the, the conmen, taxi drivers, and just the, the crazy hustle and bustle of, of the biggest, one of the biggest the cities in India. In and yeah. it, uh, it was pretty intense. The smells are overwhelming. The, the food's amazing. Terrifying at times, but um, <laughs> culturally, I mean, your eyes are just bug-eyed the whole time, and yeah. you're just overwhelmed. But I did learn simplicity on those trips is a thing. I brought lights. I brought tons of gear. I mean, I probably took $10,000 worth of gear with me Wow! Um, to think I was going to have all these abilities and chances to set it up, and then... At the end of the day, you're riding on the back of somebody's moped, and what you can fit in one backpack <laughs> yeah. is what you're taking. Um, so I ended up using basically a small kind of sport edition of a Steadicam mm-hmm. um, a lot, which is like a video stabilizer basically on a stick with a weight at the bottom. Okay. Um, and kind of just keeping my wide-angle lens on my camera body the most um and i'd always take my film camera for more personal stuff out with me and just my my one digital body steady cam and my zoom recorder for audio purposes mm-hmm. never set up lights once um just was a lot of on location work right um it's it was pretty dusty in the place i was at it was up there in the dry season okay so you know you're worrying about dust and just elements not dropping your camera, obviously, and just um, trying to figure out where you're going to charge your batteries in places that oh, don't always that. have electricity right? Um, or, or constant rolling blackouts. So you might have power two hours. You might not have it for another eight hours. Um, Golly, and then trying to edit, never find Wi-Fi, and turn in products and get reviews and go through the translation process of what my interviewees are saying and what I'm trying to snippet around. And it, it, it was a huge learning experience. Yeah. Um, but by the end of it, you, you make 
good friends with the people you're working with. Um, I was let into a house for one of the the Hindi festivals, Diwali, which is like this big festival of lights. So there's fireworks everywhere. It might be like the, the family I ate with. It's the one or two times a year they actually can afford to eat meat, uh, chicken. Mm-hmm. And they fed me chicken to the point where I was, oh, you wow. know, was so full, you know, <laughs> and they're just keep trying to stuff it down your throat. I mean, but live electric wires running everywhere in the house, just this, pr- I don't want to say primitive, not to be derogatory, just different way of living and you by the end of an almost month-long trip the appreciation for the small things yeah clean water right just being able to afford your basic necessities or what you even consider a basic necessity had all changed right by the end of just just a three four week experience you know coming back to what we you know we're bitching when the the ac unit's out nobody has ac um, you're lucky to be able to eat any complete proteins any anything that's nutrient rich nine out of ten times i mean you do get a lot with your lentils and your rice and your beans and and stuff like that but mainly you know people are way below the what we would consider a poverty line at at best and you know it's starch filled malnutrition malnourished uh leaded drinking water for the most part and that's what some of the projects were on was that you know mental mental health and how your environment has so much to do with your mental health capacity more so than just oh that guy seems a little off or you know what's really causing that you know if somebody can't afford health care which is always a big you know big debate in our country um versus going to a sham doctor or you know, like I said, just the 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 water that was transported up these mountainsides were transported in leaded trucks. You know, and just it, it it's it's a it's an interesting experience, but it's one that definitely humbles you for the situation that I was fortunate enough to come back to. These people, you know, live every day in wow. an existence that would be nearly impossible for most people I know. Exactly, like that's like extreme conditions. I'm definitely, I'm sure, like enough people probably go there and. Probably wouldn't last as long as you did. Um, so, what images did you capture for the project? Like, were you just kind of like for the project? I um, captured a lot of. I concentrate. It's funny because I shot tons of B roll right. for this project. Um, I did do talking head interviews. So basically, you're just setting up your camera and interviewing somebody, or the interpreter would be interviewing somebody basically about what their problems were um how they received help what they did to better their conditions um and it like i said i was working for a hospital group so this hospital provided basic health care basic mental care you know if somebody what we would call schizophrenic or um just super depressed there's depression's not really a thing in india they don't really recognize it they don't have words for it necessarily oh, gotcha. um so it's a lot of times untreated and people can go through some pretty hard stuff and never really have it be addressed um so you the you know alcohol and stuff like that is not really a social thing there as much Um, so the people that are really indulging in alcohol are kind of what we would consider like, not necessarily alcoholics, but 
yeah, the the brews that they are drinking are are higher alcohol, like malt liquor type, sort of go hard or go home right. sort of beverages. They're not just sipping on a, a Budweiser, a low alcohol Budweiser. I mean, yeah. they're they're drinking homemade liquor or um, sugarcane based, like what we would consider moonshine. Um, so they're they're kind of gassed out as far as the, that extreme, but yeah, it's just kind of covering mental conditions, um, and then also caretaking was one of the main projects we worked on. So instead of just interviewing the person that might had an issue, we talked to their family and okay. see how inhibiting it is to have to take care of an individual going through these things because bigger families are more common in India. Um, a lot of people have not just one child, two child. I mean, oh. there there might be three, five, seven yeah. um, children in the family. And if, you know, the mother or father is kind of off the rails, quote unquote, it puts a lot of strain on the Ooh, family because yeah. most of the times families live together. So there might be the grandmother, the great grandmother, the the parents, the children, and then if the children end up having children, they're all kind of living together, Yeah, you know, and um, what it takes to kind of care for somebody like this. So they were two kind of separate projects. It was all video stuff. They ended up taking a lot of stills um, to go along with it. Mm -hmm. But as far as B-roll, you know, it was just trying to shoot what I wouldn't consider touristy shots of the areas and what, you know, the leaded trucks, the hospital scenes, um, you don't just want to go out and shoot the worst looking people on the street right. and kind of over stereotype anybody's situation. But you were, you know, you were having to kind of shoot the, the grime as you would, you know, might say, but, um, just the unpleasantries of those sort of situations, you know, you, you could kind of tell who was walking around talking to themselves on the street and who might not have had, you know, anything to go back home to. Um, and you're trying to capture that without being an invasive tourist, mm -hmm. you know, some random white kid <laughs> with a, with a, a camera that's yeah. worth more than what these people would make in three years, you know? And yeah. so like it's in being at the base in Nepal, you saw a lot of, um, what they call porters, yeah. um, people that care. There's, you know, you might've heard of Bollywood and, such like that that's a big industry in the mountains they shoot a lot of movies in the mountains so there's mm -hmm. the wealth difference between people in india is if we keep it up in this country it's what we're going to see you only have people that can barely afford anything basic necessities yeah and then there's no middle there's n there's no, no middle. middle class yeah it it goes from that to people Rich. that that own everything right. you know that feel entitled to everything there's Technically, no classes anymore in India, but to say that doesn't exist would be completely false. Right. Um, if you're going up a one-way street in some rich asshole and basically a land cruiser, they have different cars, but something that would look like a land cruiser is coming down, and there might be 20 cars trying to go up. If they're all porters or cabbies or just basic vi villagers, they're turning around somehow, some way. For this one guy, entitled guy, to, to come down, down the road. And if they, like, start verbally, like, talking to each other, commonly would see people be spit on, um, <sighs> shuffled out of the way. There's not a lot of manhandling, not a lot of physical confrontation. 
because um, people just take it. They they really feel less than certain people there. And, yeah. um, that was a very noticeable thing to see. Um, very, very much evident that there was still kind of classes um, going on. Most definitely. But, uh, yeah, it was just a, overall, I mean, it was a very interesting project to work on. And you could tell that the people that needed the help had no way to get it. And, right. Um, I don't. You never know what your project's gonna like do, um, or help or anything. But if it can do even a small percent, you know, and allow these people to realize it's not just another social stigma that there's real issues, underlying issues. You know, it might be able to get somebody some help at some point. Exactly. So I was, I was gonna ask: Was this project turning to like the government, or was it like some so kind of awareness company or something like that? Being an NGO. In India, right? you have a lot of um, strings that you have to pull. Okay. The hospital group I worked for was a Christian hospital. Okay. And India is ran by Hindi government right, right. now. Um, very, very strict Hindi government. Um, so they don't like a lot of religious opposition. Okay. You know, you, if you're gay, you're not telling anybody. Okay. Um, if... You oppose the government, you're not telling anybody. You still will get killed say, for yeah. eating cow. Um, there's some very strict religious guidelines when it comes to operating there. Okay. So these projects had to be reviewed by the local government before they could be put out into the community. Mm-hmm. So the hospital group, that's why I had to do my editing at least a rough draft of the project there before I came back because they wanted to know what we were up to right. before people in the community could see it to see it wasn't a propaganda piece okay. it wasn't a Jesus piece because um, I don't really have a religious affiliation myself right? Um, so that really had nothing to do with it um, but being from a Christian based hospital they definitely had their arms up and there were times where we would be followed or Oh my God! Like not necessarily followed in a sketchy way, but just how there would be somebody from the local government with us while we were going out to these these areas, and so we didn't just do Hindi villages. You know, predominantly in the mountainous regions of India, you're starting to get by all the stands, the Pakistan's, the Afghanistan's. Like you're up there in that corner, and so there's some pretty. You know, I had to cover up all my tattoos. Um, oh, wow. I couldn't address certain areas I went. Can't address the women first. Like, there's there's a lot of... Don't really look at them in their eye. There's, like, some different rules and not necessarily right. regulations, but um, just kind of social norms that you have to adhere to to make sure you're not being disrespectful in somebody else's house or area. Um, and they, they wanted to know why we were going to these villages up in the base of the Himalayas while we were going to these Muslim areas, you know, and um, we definitely had eyes on us, but once they saw that it it was, and then even the water is an issue, so they wanted us to take out the whole piece about the drinking water in these movies because it made the government look bad that they were trucking leaded water, Mm -hmm. because there that's a non-issue, because people don't know about it. People know no difference in the water that they're getting and basically a sewer than the water that they're drinking, you know, and you would see that on the roads. For a Westerner, it's a stark difference. You're, you're walking down the street, and a guy might be using the restroom down here in the water, and 
500 yards this way, a kid with a fruit stand is washing his fruit with yeah, that same, same water. water. Um, but there's, it, it's definitely tricky um, when it comes to content there. Um, because, you know, in a free market world economy, everybody wants to act like they're not doing anything wrong mm-hmm. or they're not oppressing or they're not holding anybody back. But when you get into something as simple as a community awareness project on mental health um, and capability, well, you wouldn't think would have much social restraint, but is hindered a lot by just governmental you know, influence. That's awesome. That's some heavy. That's heavy shit. Like that's that's great. We talked about this before when I met you at a coffee shop, like you know, a while back, some of your travels. But like, I didn't know it was like, you know, you were really in it like that. That's that's pretty intense. Um, were there any other travels you've done that were similar to that? No, um, not really. Okay. My my only world travel other than that was my trip to Europe okay. back when I was in college, uh, first college, college right. experience. Um, but you know that's that's a it's a fun one because you know going just from Brussels to Paris to Amsterdam, um, you know a couple attempted muggings, um, Ouch. <laughs> and such where got you know sort of detained but released real quickly for not really beating up but standing your ground tackling yeah. my my situation yeah dude um, at a train station to having you know one of the things typically like. Uh, beggars do outside the Paris train station is they'll they'll hand you their baby and so and they won't take the baby back oh. until you give them money oh my gosh so you're standing here with a baby with a baby that's not yours and you're just like I don't what am I supposed yeah, to what do what are you doing get, I don't want to just put it down you know you're just like and they're just making big scene they're not speaking English and you know you're not trying to be some asshole westerner you know, as you're just politely trying to set, you know, the young the child. Because if you give that person money, it's going to happen a thousand more times before you can get out the scene. And, you know, that was probably, I'll go back to India real fast, but that was probably the most depressing thing you saw about India. They're like, don't give any kids money, period. Right. And um, everybody's begging with one arm in India, which means they're working for what we would consider like a cartel or some sort of like inner city gang in yeah. Delhi. And all the money that those kids are getting, they're taking back to somebody else. You know, they're not getting any money themselves. And so, like, world travel, just in that sense, is crazy. Even on, like, two major trips, you know, you you realize how good you have it here um, in that aspect. But other than that, traveled around the country a little bit. Um, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, some in California. Right. Um, But really just for my own leisure and pleasure. Um, okay. More so than any photography paid project, I guess you would say. Right, and obviously on these trips around the country, this country, you were um, getting photos and stuff. Yes. Um, what areas are your favorite? The lushest area in the country is definitely from the Redwoods okay. up to Oregon to Washington State. Um, the greens are green. Yeah. There's nothing bluer than, than the river water there. Oh, man. Um, it, I mean, clearly it's something out of a magazine. <laughs> um, but then you, you, you come just to our Blue Ridge, you know. We're lucky to only be two hours away from it. The fall in the Blue Ridge 
with the leaf changing season, as touristy mm-hmm. as that can sound, it's <laughs> incredible to witness. Right. I mean, just the reddest maple leaves to, you know, uh, we have what's called locust trees up there, which are the leaves fall off first, but they, they get super yellow before they fall off. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, just the contrast in that to the, it's it's really lush here in our mountains um, as well. We might not have constant rainfall all the time, but opposed to an alpine region of Colorado where there's no color, unless when it's when the aspens right before they lose their leaves they turn a bright gold. But oh, wow. it's very barren there. There's not a lot of ferns. You take ferns for granted when you go to a place like that. Moss. Right. Um, the rivers here are absolutely breathtaking as well and a different sort of landscape uh scenery but you know we we are blessed to be real close to that i mean i'm not necessarily a beach guy Mm -hmm. until i started kind of shooting the milky way haven't really made it to the beach to get a good milky way trip in right but um it's pretty dark along the outer banks Mm -hmm. um and then in our region of north carolina the northwest region up towards like floyd virginia um the virginia north carolina border um, along the parkway is one of the darkest regions in the southeast of the country and it's still one of the few areas that you can still see like the Milky Way and it's like glory with the naked eye and photography equipment right so I mean that's that's pretty epic for me perfect and that I'm going to your your star photos um, so you're mostly going to the Blue Ridge yes. these, right and like 4 a.m. like usually that varies depending yeah. on the time of year. So yeah. basically, in our southern hemisphere, like the Milky Way is only visible in the late spring through early fall time of the year, mm-hmm. um, where we're at in driving distance, essentially. And within that time frame, without moon interference, it's only visible for usually a few window hours in the middle of the night whereas sometimes of the year Mm -hmm. it could be from midnight to two or it could be from 10 to midnight um and then depending on again when the sun sets when the moon rises and sets like you might not have any clear shots um so it's and then it's really about finding you know there's apps made for this that definitely assist anybody who does it now um giving you peak windows and when the Milky Way is going to be out, when it's going to be at its highest peak in the sky, mm-hmm. what kind of direction it's going to be going. Usually in the southeast um, direction of the sky is when you'll find the Milky Way, south of southeast. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of tools you can use now to try to track it, find it, and figure out if you're going to be wasting your time or not. Right. Whereas when I first started doing it, had no idea about it. Up there you know, just went up watch. there and it'd be a bust three out of four times. <laughs> yeah. And now I can pick and choose what night I want to lose sleep on, you know, and right. it might be setting up a time lapse or just trying to stitch together some panoramas. But, you know, and then like I went two weeks ago, complete bust. Basically drove up there and had to turn back around. Not because I couldn't find it, but because, you know, you try to check the weather the best you can, but sometimes it just doesn't know when there's going to be a pa- patch of cloudy and it, it was a one-and-a-half-hour window, and I didn't see that it was going to be clear sky. And he said, you know, <laughs> so soon, driving yeah. a few hours each way, 
you kind of sometimes just got to cut your losses but you know it's, it's definitely an adventure and then once you go a few times you're trying not to go back to the same exact spot because you don't want the same exact picture if you've mm. already successfully got it from there yeah um but each time you learn a little bit more about how to be efficient how to line up composition and now it's about like well what's my photo going to be to be a little different than somebody else's just pulling off the side of the road taking the same sort of picture as well you know like anything you gotta right. figure out how to separate your your content right awesome so other than those what else do you find yourself mostly doing you mentioned weddings you mentioned portraits you mentioned uh, working for you know maybe startups and stuff but what do you find yourself doing the most now oh man um really just taking care of of life okay. um budgeting finances trying to run a restaurant in a capacity that you know takes up 60 65 sometimes 70 hours a week yeah um but you know with my girlfriend jen being in grad school right now for nutrition um she's had to do a bunch of volunteer hours at a local hospital and she's going back for another full load of classes in the fall Whew. i get a lot of daughter time daddy daughter time in the mornings before i have to go into work yeah. so um ayla's about to be two the end of august and she she's a stinker i mean she's <laughs> the cutest thing she's she's awesome and <laughs> she will run you into the ground um you know she i spoil her more than her mom does <laughs> but uh you know it's it's a full-time job you know yeah. everybody says taking care of a kid's not a full-time job you're not doing it right right you know um and then that leads me to a project that I'm still five months behind on. Uh, I operate AylaGrove.com, which is a website of just Ayla photos. Oh, wow. Um, and so I'm just now getting into February of this year. Um, but shooting again digital mainly for just daily life stuff. I find myself having to edit thousands and thousands of photographs or at least go through and pick which ones I'm going to edit for the website um, just for to put out content of my daughter yeah um, but along with that there's reoccurring projects like I turned in my content for the India films before I left you know and then they sort of got botched by the hospital group because a lot of common village people that the stuff would be shown to don't understand b-roll right. it's not a cinematic expression in a lot of Bollywood film it's a lot of singing and dancing and head-on type stuff so they ended up I ended up redoing it for them with just mainly cutting out a lot of b-roll and putting in a lot of talking heads just right. actually showing the interviews which is something that I would rather sh want somebody's talking about something show the b-roll of what they're talking about yeah exactly you know referencing the environment or whatnot but you ended up having to place in a lot more just looking at the camera and somebody being interviewed and um, with the subtitles and it being fully edited at the end by somebody else, you know, it really wasn't up to what I would say would be on par with something that like, not necessarily something I wasn't proud of, but like from an art standpoint, something that I definitely wasn't happy with. Um, so I'm still in the final stages of putting together just basically my versions without the subtitles without the kind of the script involved because mm -hmm. it was very script oriented by right. the end of the project um so that's just gonna be like a 
five minute soft <laughs> music playing kind of just video that I've been working on over the course of the past couple of years. Um, so that will come out soon. And then as I shoot these star photos, I um, have stills, but also I try to shoot as many time lapses as I can. Mm -hmm, yeah. Um, and then while I'm in the, up in the mountains in the daytime, which has been less frequently lately, but shooting daytime environmental macro video just uh, and putting it together just kind of a mountain piece. Um, shot a couple hip-hop videos last year for Whoa, a friend of mine. That's awesome. Um, but just, you know, it's a couple of small projects here and there, but definitely enough to keep me busy. Yeah. Um, that's the most important part. No, no immediate need. Um, it's from where I'm standing to push an avenue right now. Um, yeah. if something falls in my lap, which is very unlikely in this business, you don't really just get stuff falling in your lap all day. Nope. Um, <laughs> Definitely but, not. you know, being able to concentrate on the restaurant and pick up word of mouth weddings. And like I said, just small projects here and there. Yeah. I'm completely happy with, you know, and that was something in school was kind of terrifying was that you were entering an industry knowing that photojournalism is changing, right? knowing that print is essentially not dead, but dying. Yeah. Newspapers aren't traditionally ran the same way they were 5, 10, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, there's tons more news outlets. There's, there's less of an ability to be a freelancer and to consistently be able to pay your bills. You know, $75 job here, a $50 job. People are offering $25 for jobs, you know, and if, and if you're expecting to pay your rent, pay your bills, take care of a family, it's not a very promise. not saying it's not a promising career at all. That would be just that I don't have the time right now in my current really situation good. to dedicate those hours to an iffy chance. Yeah. Whereas a salary position at a restaurant, restaurants can fail. Yeah. Clearly. It's true. But at least for the income coming in, I can rest easy at night knowing that my family is taken care of whereas yeah. trying to do that with a camera even though that would probably be my number one passion compared to food um i just don't feel confident in you know and it sucks to have to admit that but yeah. that's that's a fact that i've had to settle with you know over the last couple of years um and just come to that realization that yeah for person personal i could travel around the world I could do these little documentary projects that don't pay a lot, that <laughs> let me be in the coolest places, the most conflict-torn regions, the the scariest projects, the, the headiest projects. But at the end of the day, would it be right for my family? No, it wouldn't. It'd be right for me in a sense, but that would be a very selfish move on my part. Right. So. Wow. Yeah, that's like, yeah, I guess it's a totally different ball game for when you have a, a family and mouths to feed and, you know, people to support. Um, and it's very hard to really dive into this industry as a career. Um, like I said earlier, everyone's doing it. It's very saturated. Um, so, yeah, I think it's right now a lot of people are having to have those other jobs. That's not a bad thing. And to also kind of juggle this, too. Um, but cool. So, mention that, where would you want to end up kind of the end of it? You know, this the spot you want to be like, hey, this is what I want to do. This is great. I got to where I want to be. Well, you know, we're in a a phase 
especially with me and my partner Jen, where she's going through grad school for nutrition. Um, I'm cooking right, right now. But, you know, a lot of it has to do with she's trying to build her career well. So there's a lot of, like, not bargaining, but, you know, you're trying to be considerate for your partner and what they're trying to do with their career, and, you know, which seems to be a promising one. And she's going to be able to land a killer job doing what she wants somewhere. Yeah. Not necessarily anywhere, but, you know, we have some goals in mind of some places we might want to settle. Um probably settle here for a while our families are close while Ayla's young you know they they're an amazing support system um to have that you know around is is awesome yeah um but you know when she's a little older and it's more school-based um you know we would like to maybe go out west again she lived in Colorado for six years before and um I frequented out there you know whenever I could yeah um but you know you have to have your skill set in place before you go to some of these places that it's harder to get a job in, you know, um, like Boone, for example, is a college town. It's a town that revolves around a college just to go up there on a whim and think you're going to find a successful career is way less likely than even trying here in Greensboro, Winston, um, or Raleigh or something because the, the job market is so much less. And a lot of these really pristine aesthetic places that might be a dream place to live a lot of times it's harder to get a job in those places. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really have to either have a job before you go out there, you know, a guaranteed job that you've already applied for and been accepted to. Um, so really that's going to be a balancing act where she's going to be able to find work. And I'm also going to be able to find work. I can cook anywhere, though. You know, so that's, that's a benefit of this one skill set that I've pushed and pushed and pushed at over the years is that I'm confident enough. I, I think I could cook anywhere in the country right. and be okay. Um, so that's going to rely on where she can find a good place to set up her practice or whatever she decides to do in her career. Um, we'll do that, you know, and that might be five years. It might be more or less or, you know, whatever, but there's definitely like some places we, we have in mind, but we're not going to get heart set on any of them until we can feasibly make that happen, you know? That's awesome. Cool. That's a very realistic view of all that. That's awesome that you kind of compromising with her, and you know, you know, you can go anywhere with your skill set. So that's cool. Um, so winding on down, if someone were to come to you off the street and they would say, "Hey, can I want to get into photography? What advice do you have? What would you tell them?" Just like, I mean, I'll use a stupid sports analogy, but just like in sports, you know. I grew up playing all sports. Yeah. I played pretty much everything but football. Okay. And I was more than competent at all of them. Okay. But I wasn't great at one of them. Okay. You know, I was probably best at lacrosse and soccer, but I still refused to just only do one of those things, mm-hmm. you know, to really excel at it. And photography, I think, operates the same way. And it's just the same way I approach photography. I get bored easy. Mm -hmm. So I don't just do, like, with my food background, I should have sucked it up, and I should have went the commercial route and shot only food. And I probably could have landed a pretty solid job in the food styling industry by now if I had not been stubborn and wanting to travel (laughs) and wanting to shoot whatever I wanted to, you know. And so that's what I would tell a new person, like, you have to find your passion in that art medium mm-hmm. and 
or something you're comfortable with doing. You know, if you're comfortable with shooting a thousand different types of fabric in a day, go to High Point and shoot industrial photography for the furniture market industry, and you are guaranteed a job. You're guaranteed a career. Very true. You know, if if you are heart set on shooting sports, just do it. Yeah. You know, you, you start at the minor leagues, you start at whatever, invest in a telephoto lens, you might have to take a loan out for it, but, you know, if you land a good newspaper job or a, a sports magazine job or something, they'll obviously have gear that you get to use, but you got to build a portfolio, not just a generic one, which is, if you go to my website, I have a generic one, I have a content on everything, yeah. you know, and um, you <laughs> not just your one thing you're trying to sell for yourself if you if you want to be a portrait photographer if i go to daniel white's website that's all you should have right you know you might could have a couple different websites for different your different projects but if you're trying to get a job a good one or make a consistent living in photography you have to pick one thing and stick to it yep you know so. and yep. sacrifice the rest it's, it's shitty as that sounds sort of you have to really narrow down your focus and just hone in on that one skill set right and that's what will make you successful if you're destined to be successful in that area or good enough or competent enough or hardworking enough you have to dial in that one mode and stick to it that's awesome cool um so and i forgot to ask a question earlier but i definitely want to hear yours do you have any other photographer that you look up to um that you've kind of been motivated from oh man well i mean just a local buddy of mine um dan whitaker okay uh he shoots a lot of nature stuff star stuff um works holds down a nine to five um but he he's he's constantly out there either storm chasing or putting down content <laughs> yeah and um he's done a lot over the last few years he, he also went to rcc okay um but he, he busts his balls and um to to lose sleep to get out you know he'll get out and conditions that that suck to to get photos um other than that i had a professor who is um I hate to say it passed away um oh, cancer that. at app right um john scarlotta and he he was a an art guy he, he he showed me books of paintings and drawings and you know compared like my macro photography to some of these paintings and said you know you have an eye followed up by hard work and so don't ever feel like you can't do it. You just always have to push, you right. know. And so he was very encouraging early on. Um, whenever I get discouraged, it felt the bubble started getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more competitive. And he was like, look, man, you, you, you do what you love. You concentrate on the art that you see and, like, just do it, yeah. you know. And, like, he just had a lot of good advice for for people early on in their careers, you know, whether or not they end up going to be successful in it or not. He, he had a way of dealing with people that was like super personal for the scope of the program that he ran, you know, and I always appreciated his kind words, but he took kids to Cuba all the time on these sketchy trips. And, <laughs> um, I didn't get, didn't get to go, but, uh, he, he definitely pushed like his students' minds, which was always something that I valued. Right. Awesome. Cool. That was a, that was such a plethora of awesome information information from you. Lots of I learned myself. I didn't know. Um, so thank you for coming. 
Oh, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Um, And where can we find your website? What's your website? CalebSmallwood.com. Okay. Um, Just my name with a middle initial. (laughs) And my daughter's is AylaGrove.com. And then my Instagram handle is the same, CalebSmallwood. Damn right. You have it, guys. Cool. So, yeah. So, that's Caleb. Um, Definitely check out his website and his work. It's beautiful. I love it. Um, Yeah. Thanks again. No problem, man. Cool. And that's it for Caleb. Hey guys, Daniel here, your host of the Free Pizza Podcast. If you like what you just heard, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review on the podcast app. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for upcoming episodes.